Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. It's the single most important question for the future of vaping. Is vaping safe? Despite a mountain of research pointing to low health risks associated with vaping compared to smoking, a definitive answer remains elusive. But researchers behind a new multi-site international study of the health effects of vaping hope to remedy that, and they need your help. The Veritas Cohort Study is headed by Dr. Ricardo Pelosa out of COHAR, the Center of Excellence for Harm Reduction at the University of Catania. And the lead scientist and global project manager for the Veritas Cohort Study is eminent Dr. Carl V. Phillips. Joining us from a sunny and very warm state of New Hampshire, Dr. Phillips, thanks for coming back on RegWatch. Hi, Brent. Good. Great to be here. Dr. Phillips, explain why the Veritas study is by far the most substantial study on the health effects of vaping so far. It's going to be a large study, um, hundreds of vapors. Um, it's a cohort study, which means we follow people over time. At least six years is, is the plan here. Um, it's taking place internationally. We're going to be collecting a lot of data, um, both clinical and, and survey data. Um, and we are focusing on people who haven't smoked much. And these combine to make this by far the most useful and important study um, on the topic so far. We have studies out there that are based on data that happens to be collected in big data sets. It doesn't have enough detail. We have very short-term studies with a few vapors, um, but we have nothing like this in, in the world yet today. So how hard is this uh, to pull off then if it is extraordinary? <laughs> it, it's, it's not easy. It's been a lot of work getting to this point. And um, we, as you said, are at you know, one of several launching points during the course of it. This particular launching point is figuring out where we have enough potential study subjects. And, you know, of course, we're, we'll talk about more about where we're, we're doing this and so forth later. Um, the issue is, um, are there enough vapors who haven't smoked very much and, of course, are interested in being part of our study in a particular city or region? Yeah, and there's, I believe there's like 19 regions and cities that you guys are looking at. Is that correct? Um, so, something like that. So we have several countries that, that we have pretty well covered entirely. Um, and we have various other countries, um, 15 other countries, where we have one or two study sites. So I've got up uh, some slides here. So this is from the website, and what is Veritas Cohort? Um, and so I didn't do the acronym uh, because I was already fumbling everything, but Vaping Effects Real World International Surveillance. It's a bit ominous. <laughs> yeah, as well, I mean, you know, the, the real world surveillance is the key to this. Um, we're not just taking a snapshot of how people responded to a survey. We're not putting people in an artificial setting, um, which, you know, certainly has its value, handing a group of smokers some vapes and watching their clinical reactions and so forth. There, there's good information about that. Dr. Pelosa has, has done a lot of that, but um, it's been his dream to expand it into to a study like this, and we're fortunate enough to have the opportunity to pursue that. So obviously, if uh, this is new and, and, and big news with this study, why has it not been done so far? So like what has been the problems or the challenges 
with previous studies, you know, touching vaping effects and, and efficacy and safety? Well, the, the biggest challenge um, for studying the effects of vaping is that most vapors are ex-smokers and they've smoked quite a lot and they've probably smoked, most of them have smoked fairly recently. Um, well, of course, we know that smoking is hazardous. We know that having smoked fairly recently or having smoked a lot over your lifetime is um, still hazardous. That is, you will have lasting health effects from that, um, you know, which is, of course, the, the main reason why um, we're, we, let, we want to promote vaping is, is to help people avoid those risks. Um, but from a scientific perspective, the, the problem is that if somebody has smoked and we see that their health um, is less good than the average person, they have less lung capacity, they have um, problems in their lungs that show up on a scan um, or any number of other issues, we wouldn't be able to tell if that were theoretically caused by vaping versus it having been caused by their lifetime of smoking. So basically, if you pick vapors at random, you have almost all ex-smokers. Yes, they're going to be less healthy than the average person who is um, of the same age. And so that becomes a huge challenge. And you have to start with people who have vaped, who do vape, um, but, but haven't smoked very much. And you know, simply no one's done this yet. Um, I mean, <laughs> the reason no one's done it yet is no one's done it yet, but here we are. So, so you know, I've been struggling with how to frame this. Is it an irony? that in order to get the best information and research on vaping is to find those that have never smoked. Because, and the reason why I say irony is that if you talk to activists, you know, they're adamant that uh, just like the regulators are, just like the public health uh, NGOs are, is that vaping should not be for an adult who's never smoked. You can be 25 years old, you can be 30 years old, and if you want to develop a fine little nicotine habit using vape, yeah, right? And so, well, yeah, well, um, I mean, there, there are a couple of levels of response to that. I mean, the, the first one is, and, you know, I suspect your viewers all, all know this, but it's worth reiterating. There is absolutely not the slightest sliver of a doubt that vaping is less harmful than smoking, that switching to vaping is healthier than continuing to, to smoke and, and so forth. There's no point in doing a study if I try to show that. We already know that. So, the and question, let me interrupt you for a second. You're an epidemiologist as well, yeah, right? So, that's right. Yeah. So, you know what you're talking about when it comes to research. I, I, I've, I've been uh, working on this topic um, as long as anybody, um, longer, arguably longer than anybody. Um, so, yes. So, okay, well, I'm going to bring you right back to that then in terms of efficacy and its safety and what we know. But let's just take a moment to fill our viewers in a bit more about what your background is, because it is extensive. And when I said eminent, I meant it. Sure. I mean, I've been working on issues related to tobacco harm reduction, low-risk tobacco products, product substitution um, since before e-cigarettes existed. I was one of the first, you know, two or three people working on this topic starting back 20 years ago. 
Um, I was at the time a professor of public health and medicine, and I continued working on this in that role for another 10 years um, before continuing to work on it, but shifting in, into other non-academic positions. Um, I did a lot of the first studies of whatever in, in the topic area. Um, I, I suspect um, I deserve credit for popularizing the term tobacco harm reduction, actually, though, you know, it's sort of impossible to ever know that. Um, but nobody was using that term when, when I and my research shop started using it, um, promoting it, emphasizing it, um, talking 15 years ago, more than 15 years ago now. So. Well, that's a big deal. If you're able to come on our show and, and lay some claim to that uh, moniker, that's, uh, that's excellent, Dr. Phillips. And okay, so we've got that out of the way. So let's get back then to something that you said to me in the pre-interview, and that was, it's approximately zero. Yeah. Well, start us off on that. Give us a great soundbite. Okay, sure. I mean, my view and... Um... <laughs> I, 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 I will say without any attempted false modesty that uh, I'm not sure why, you know, that any view is more more learned on this topic than, than my view. Um, as you said, I'm an epidemiologist and I've been working on this from before its start, is that the best descriptor of the health risk from vaping or from smokeless tobacco use is approximately harmless. Um, and you hear numbers like vaping's 95% less harmful than smoking. I mean, that, that's ridiculous. There is no conceivable way that vaping is 5% as bad for you as, as smoking. Um, could it be 1% as bad for you? Yeah, well, maybe. Um, but e even that is probably not the case. Could it be good for you on net because of the benefits of nicotine and there being trivial risk of disease um, caused by it. Yes, that's a possibility too. So approximately harmless is the right description of the risk from vaping. Once we have it narrowed down to approximately harmless though, it sure would be nice to figure out if it's exactly harmless, if there's a little bit of risk um, that people ought to be worried about. Um, and it is also useful to have the definitive cohort study that shows that it's absolutely harmless to those who doubt it or <laughs> pretend to doubt it. So if we, if you're the guy that, you know, has got the history here of naming things and creating great phrases and so forth, approximately harmless is something every viewer should be hearing right now. A 95% uh, say uh, less harmful. It almost sounds hard to say now. It's just, it's approximately harmless. Um, and I've been, I've been pushing that phrasing a lot, and a lot of people have picked it up. Um, and, you know, again, I, you, know, you can never tell with phrases, and I, and I don't care. Um, but I'm pretty sure that when people use that, it traces back, back to me pushing that message. Because, you know, it's, it's the right one. The, the notion of exactly harmless, well, that's impossible to know. I mean, literally impossible. Science doesn't work that way. You can't show that something is exactly precisely zero, but what's relevant is that it is so close to zero that you might as well treat it as zero. Um, as for 
whether there are doubters even still, and um, as for whether it's the tiniest, slightest risk, um, those are what we're trying to deal with with this study. So we've been asking for five years on RegWatch. Um, we're talking with scientists that you know are the ones that can weigh in on this issue, and that is, is vaping safe? And for the first four years, you know, we always get, oh, nothing is ever safe. They would, you know, rely on the 95% less harmful and so forth. Um, but, you know, vaping had taken such a hit uh, over the epidemic issue. And then when E-Valley hit this fall, last fall, you know, we're, we kind of had it with that. Like our on-site scientists were talking, we were asking them, you know, is vaping safe? And we get that humming and hawing. That's yeah. not enough for vaping right now. If, if the lead scientists in the vaping world can't say it's safe, then we got a problem and there needs to be a solution there. And it sounds like approximately harmless is a part of that solution. Yeah, I think that I think that's probably true. And I think that's why um, when I point out that phrase to people and explain the basis for it, it catches on because exactly as you say, that that is it, it's accurate. It's exactly what we need. It's simple and straightforward. It doesn't get into the you know, theories of science, philosophy of science that says you can never prove anything and that, you know, you can never prove a negative, especially, you know, can you prove that vaping never causes any cases of disease? Well, even if it doesn't, no, you can't prove that. Um, but we make practical decisions. This is a practical decision. This isn't theoretical physics where we're trying to figure out whether a particle exists or not. This is a matter of individual choice, just like, you know, whether you decide to have a scone for breakfast once a week. Is that, is that harmless completely? Yeah, it's approximately harmless. Go ahead, have it, right? Uh <laughs> it all depends on what uh, what the nutritionists are saying or public health on any one day. Um, yeah, probably yeah, should I, into nutrition. That's a whole other mess. But, it yeah. is a mess, isn't it? Yeah. Um, okay, so like when we were talking with Dr. Leon Shahab um, out of, uh, what, what, what university is he out of again? Do you recall? Uh, university of London, maybe, L I think? L London, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he and his research is biomarkers. And so, what's really interesting about biomarkers is it it's you know bringing the science closer to the approximately harmless. So you know if we're not going to use the ninety five percent you know safer or less harmful, um, and and with the you know obviously there's a bunch of research out there that still comes out that you know talks about how vaping is bad for you and hurts you and so forth. And no matter what we say, politicians and body part or, orgs are going to still be hammering home on five-year-old uh, scare stories. So the thing is, is that with biomarkers, we know so much about how smoking affects the body physically, you know, the chemistry, the biology, and so forth, that you can, you know, reduce some of those effects to biomarkers and then look to see if those same kind of markers exist in vapors. And obviously, his research is showing that it's not the case. And he was able to say, when asked that question about whether or not a vaping is safe, he said, it's been shown safe. Mm -hmm. And that's also another one that I think it's important to bring out and to keep pushing out to our viewers. Yeah, well, of course, safe, safe isn't a, a scientific term, really. I mean, safe is a, you know, is, is, is an everyday vague term about, you know, what seems okay to do versus what doesn't seem okay to do. And if you think of it that way, um, 
yeah, that works too. You can say vaping is safe. If somebody wants to interpret it as meaning scientifically shown to never cause any harm whatsoever, then no, that doesn't work. You're never going to get that. Um, True, so. true. So let's talk then about th this specific study. If the idea going into it is that um, vaping, you know, is is approximately harmless. How does the study get put together then? Are you going to try to prove that? Which I know you, you can't really prove that, I guess, but how, how do you formulate this study to then come out on the other side and it to be credible and, and how do you work the results? Well, as with any study, um, you design it so that it can answer the question. The question being, you know, can we find any evidence of a health risk um, from from vaping in the absence of having a lifetime of heavy smoking behind you. And we look at um, lung function, that's what we're focused on because the hypothesis is that if there is gonna be a problem um, that is detectable, Look for the look for it at the lungs first, because of course there's still lung involvement and so forth. Um, you know we have we have a ton of evidence already about smokeless tobacco use, um, and that doesn't need to be repeated. And systemic nicotine is thus studied as a result of that, as as well as other exposures. But what's what's missing from that in terms of understanding vaping is the lung involvement, and so so that's what we're focused on. Um, and in terms of how you answer questions, how you're credible and honest, well, you gather the data and you report what it says. And, you know, whatever, whatever the data says, whatever the truth is, you know, we, society, collectively, scientists, and most importantly, vapors, want to know it, right? Um, I mean, who, who, uh, <clears throat> who more than people who vape um, would benefit from learning that there is, in fact, a, a bit of a risk. You know, it wouldn't mean that they had to make their decision based on um, that and say, oh, there's a bit of a risk, I'm not going to do it. It would still be an option to do or should be in a free society. But uh, um, it lets people make an informed choice. And making an informed choice is what harm reduction is all about. So let's talk about harm reduction for a, a, a minute. Is it harm reduction for people who've never smoked? Like what about those people that have never smoked um, and they're 20 years old or 21? Does harm reduction apply to them when it comes to vaping? Well, I mean, for, first off, to take a step back, harm reduction, of course, doesn't just mean product substitution. It's, it's, a, it's a philosophy of freedom and empowerment and individual autonomy and so forth, that people shouldn't be punished for a choice that they make about their own body, um, whether it's criminalization of illicit drugs or punitive taxation of tobacco products or vaping products. Um, so that's part of it. Um, and of course, part of it is um, informing people about low-risk alternatives and, if at all possible, making low-risk alternatives av available. So your question is, well, what's the point in having a low-risk alternative 
if it's not an alternative to something for someone, right? So it's only an alternative if they're already a smoker. Well, first off, that's not entirely true because um, one of the ways that vaping eliminates smoking is having a smoker switch to vaping. But another way that a vaping eliminates smoking is have some having someone who would have started smoking, a young person who would have in a world without vaping smoked, but instead they vape. And in by pretty much any measure, that's better still to have not smoked in the first place and to have just vaped is uh, better. You know, you see, you see the, the, the jokes that sometimes people make um, when that messaging is out there, when the messaging is, oh, vaping's only for people who, who smoke. And it's like, uh, okay, does that mean we should have people start smoking for a while? Because only then will they be allowed to, to start vaping? No, it's better that they just vape from the start. So, um, so young people who start with vaping, that's also harm reduction. Um, but also, people who might have decided against smoking because they, they knew it was hazardous, but want to do something like that and take advantage of the opportunity to vape, um, that's also part of harm reduction in the sense of allowing people to make a, a choice for themselves. And so, um, so, so, so those of us who are concerned with people's welfare, um, don't think that vaping is just for smokers. It is for anybody who is made better off by vaping. Which is, uh, which is the whole idea, I think, isn't it? Let's jump over to the website. And I've got it right here. Are you a potential study subject? And uh, so let me just read off a little bit of here. We're currently collecting contact information to determine if we can begin research at our various study sites. If you might be interested in participating, please fill out the form at the bottom of the page. And of course, a little bit of information here, you know, cur you know, you have to be a current uh, daily vapor and have very little history of smoking. So less than a thousand total cigarettes. So 50 packs of cigarettes in your life. I blew past that, like, I don't know, at 12 or something. And maybe, <laughs> maybe I was a little older, but uh, currently a non And so <clears throat> you have to be a non-smoker and have not smoked every day for at least two years. So pretty serious um, in terms of making sure that people are not, you know, don't have that history. Obviously that's to keep, I guess, the results clean, it to, for lack of a better word. Yeah, that, that's, that's exactly right. Because, I mean, you simply can, cannot figure out whether vaping is ever so slightly hazardous or not hazardous at all if you have the confounding, that's our technical term for it in epidemiology, the confounding by um, past smoking. It, it, it's, it's simply impossible. You have to just take that out of the mix in order to be able to detect any risk. Because, I mean, the, the numbers that we're talking about, remember, approximately harmless. If there is any risk from vaping, it's going to be, you know, one-tenth, one-twentieth, one-fiftieth of the risk from former smoking. And I'm not talking about current smoking. I'm talking about the added risk that comes from having smoked in a lot in your past is, is 
many, many times higher than the largest reasonable estimate for any risk from vaping. And it's simply impossible to deal with um, the data when you have that complication. So you mentioned confounding and, you know, all, excuse me, I got something in my eye there. Uh, you're actually, I'm tearing up as I'm about to bring up uh, Professor Glantz because he doesn't follow these kinds of rules, does he? He he tends to like, if he wants to study vaping, he'll just study smokers and then and say they're having heart attacks. And then, you know, it just, I, I can't possibly describe how horrible his research is. And yeah. I mean, so give give us an understanding of how he approaches research because he's he's got the largest voice in tobacco control he's the biggest enemy of vaping and he yeah. and truth does not seem to matter for him oh it, yeah it's worse than that i mean there there are a lot of people who just do shoddy work that's skewed in the direction of showing problems and and, and so forth i mean it's pretty easy to show that that individual in particular um is a very clever con man. I mean, he carefully designs studies to get particular wrong answers. I mean, this isn't sloppy work. This isn't accidental. This isn't failing to control for confounding adequately um, just because somebody isn't good at what they do. He's very good at what he does. And what he does is construct disinformation. He's you know, a skilled propagandist. Um, if you if you look at his studies with the eye of an expert in in research methods, um, you see not stupid sloppiness like you see coming from you know ninety five percent of tobacco controllers. You see very clever deception built into to the methodology. Um, you know, you, you know, the fingerprints are all over it. Uh, that's troubling, isn't it? You know, we had um, we had Derek Yak, uh, who's the president uh, and founder of the Foundation for Smoke Free World, on the show a couple of weeks ago, and uh, and when we brought up the topic of uh, Professor Glantz, he told a neat little story, neat uh, about back in the day at the very start of everything. So I guess this would have been probably in the early '90s or late '80s or something, and they're having a chat, and I guess the conversation got around to. If you had a choice to work on tobacco control, if you had a choice to pick an epidemiologist or a political scientist, which would you pick? And uh, Dr. Yock said, well, I'll pick an epidemiologist. And what did Dr. Glantz pick? A political scientist. <laughs> and, I mean, that's pure communist. That's, I mean, that's a, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I guess it's kind of orthogonal to, to whether someone's communist or not, but it, it, it's definitely, it, it's definitely unfortunate. Um, <laughs> um, but you know, the, the, the key, the key with him is he knows what he's doing and he's intentionally doing it wrong. Um, and, you know, as I said, if you look at it with, with a fair bit of expertise in, in the methods, you can see that it's cleverly designed Um in, in particular ways, whereas most of the stuff is, is just stupid sloppy. I mean, it was perhaps sloppy intentionally in the direction that's going to produce anti-tobacco, anti-vaping messages, um, but it's just weak. Um, he, is, he, he is masterful at what's clearly intentional deception. That's, that's a pretty big deal. 
It, it is. Yeah. Um, I mean, and he, he's reasonably close to unique in that. There are a few other people who try to imitate it um, and they can't pull it off. I mean, I, I don't know whether it's a compliment or an insult to say someone is, uh, you know, a successful supervillain, right? But, uh, you know, that that's what it is. It, he's, it's the difference between, you know, in a superhero movie between the, you know, random street thugs who the superhero can take out and the supervillain who, who is a worthy opponent. <laughs> now, that's something coming from a man sporting his Dr. Evil look. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. My, my my promo picture still had had hair. I noticed the one. Uh, you so you're looking good, man. You're looking good. You're looking good. So all right. So let's dive into the let's dive into subjects. Um, and so we've got some questions online asking how do we get involved if we want to get involved. Of course, now I mean for everybody when you're seeing uh, the name key uh, there with uh, Doctor Phillips at the very bottom is the URL for the website. And I mean I can spell it out here. It's uh, Veritas cohort that's c-o-h-o-r-t at cohar c-o-e-h-a-r dot org and we'll throw that up right here yeah. so you can and see fact, it when you, when you type in the url you can leave out the cohort part if you just do veritascohort.org it'll redirect you into that so. ah very excellent so that's just the straight up there and that'll take you to it so for all the viewers that's where you head to and oh no I, you I, don't you I, do I, I think you have to go to just if you just go to veritascohort.org and redirect you to the home page and then you can go to the oh i might be typing it wrong to the sub page there oh yeah it needs an a all right there we go yeah so that's it yeah. so you can just type in veritascohort.org and and then there's the study subject tab you can see over there on the left. Um, and that's currently being used for what you said, for us to collect contact information to see if we can find enough study subjects. And if you scroll down, you can show the list of places where we are recruiting. So um, here in North America, we have a site in Toronto. Sorry, we don't have anything in Vancouver, but uh, we have Toronto and we have several sites in the United States, um, as well as Mexico City and Costa Rica. In Europe, we have multiple sites in Italy covering most of the country, most multiple sites in England covering, covering most of the country, Poland also, and individual sites in Germany, Estonia, Greece, Hungary, Ireland, um, there's one in Scotland in addition to the ones in, um, in England, um, and let's see where else, Lisbon and Madrid, and uh, Auckland, New Zealand also on the other side of the world. Right, so, and so just to make sure that we kind of um, put the point to it here, so um, if you are a daily vapor and have never smoked, you're wanted. And yep. then hopefully you live close to one of these locations. And if that's and the case, then make sure you register. You're not enrolling people yet. You're just, you're, we're, you're trying to find out if there's enough subjects for each one of these areas before you take it to the next step, which is clinical and enrolling officially and so forth, correct? That, that, that's right. And it, it doesn't have to be never smoked. Um, I mean, that it would be perfect if we could find 
hundreds of vapors who have literally never taken a puff on a cigarette, but we don't expect that that's possible. So right. it's just not smoked too much. Okay. And so, um, and we'll, we'll have to adjust <laughs> sort of where the cutoff for that is based on, on who we have signed up. So, so um, if you can, if 50 packs in your lifetime is kind of the number kind of put that in your head, if yeah. you think, if you think you're kind of close to that, you know, uh, sign up here for, you know, identify yourself as a potential subject that kind of thing, right? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, so we, so we need to figure out if, uh, which study sites are, are viable. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, we're pretty confident we're going to find enough in London. Um, we don't know whether we're going to find enough in, in various other places. So it's, so it's really important for, um, people to, to register here because, you know, if at a potential study site, we only get two, three people registering there, we're, we're probably just going to have to drop that site and we sure don't want to do that. Right. Um, so, so, and be um, thinking of your friends too, maybe if it's not yeah. you, but you know, your buddy, you know, fits into this, you should make sure that they know about it. Right. So they can register. Yeah. And, you know, and, and we're going to, and, and we have, um, we have ambassadors, that's what we're calling our uh, local study site representatives in place in each of these locations. And there's another tab that'll take take you over to, to a list of them. Um, they are already at work recruiting locally in each of their areas through social media and vape shops and so forth. Um, just this week, we started putting out national and international calls um, trying to find, you know, anybody who's on in, in one of these sites. And of course, you know, we realize most people in the world don't live in one of these places, but you know, we have, we have pretty good coverage. A lot of people do. So, you know, we have this program and we have social media and we have uh, other outreach to try to get the word out to everyone. And as you say, tell all your friends, <laughs> forward it, post it yourself. Um, and so on, because, you know, it's really important that we get this going. It's, it's potentially hugely important for the future of vaping, because as you've said several times, Brent, there are people out there who are making negative claims about the health effects of vaping. And we have biomarkers and we have small studies, but if we can come back with this and say, look, we've followed these people for year after year after year and did not find any measurable health effects, um, that's going to be really much more useful for, for helping protect vaping in the future. And of course, if we come back and find that there's a hazard, vapors are going to want to know that and we'd like to be able to tell them so that they can make an informed choice. Sure. And what, what kind of commitment do they have to make? You've said six years. So uh, you know, they have to come in once a week, once a month, once a year. Yeah. Are you well, going to poke, are you going to poke them and prod them? Um, once a year, um, for a clinical visit and several surveys a year. So, um, you know, so if somebody isn't, you know, exactly in the city where one of these sites is, but is willing to make the trip in once a year, they, um, are encouraged to, to sign up. Um, there and will, will be, they be like, will they have to do running machines, you know, with the breath thing and the, all of the heart EKG stuff? That, 
that that type of thing and and scans we won't be uh won't be poking so much we'll be uh <laughs> scanning and breathing and 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 so forth um should be should be painless as uh for, for, for pretty much everybody. <laughs> if it's not painless, then somebody might have a problem. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So, okay, well, so that's, I mean, so obviously it, it's, if, you know, if you're a vapor and you believe in this, uh, this is your opportunity to not just, you know, help by sharing articles and, you know, via by vote hashtags or whatever, you could be a part of this six year study that could be provide a definitive answer, um, at least definitive enough, hopefully to silence some of the voices of critics. That, that, that's the hope. Um, and, you know, as, as you said, you have, you have to be open as a scientist um, to whatever the data shows. But, you know, we go into this with the hypothesis that whatever hazard might be um, associated with vaping, we're back to approximately harmless. Um, it's probably going to be too small to, to show up. And we'll be able to report back and say, hey, we looked. We tried to find any risk from vaping following hundreds of vapors for years, and nope, it didn't show up. Or, as I said, we come back and say, ooh, this doesn't, uh, this doesn't look good. We should probably get the word out to vapors that uh, we think it might be causing a, a bit of a problem in this particular way. Either way, it's exactly the information that vapors should want to have coming out into the world and sure. we can't do it without them. And what about use of, you know, non uh, combustible nicotine products? So your snooze or chewing tobacco or even like a nicotine gum or patch, is any of that a knock you out of the study or is that okay? Yeah, um, it doesn't it doesn't knock you out of of the study. Um, ideally, we will have study subjects who who aren't using these other products. But if you are someone who uses those other products and meet the other criteria, um, please go sign up. The, the The intake questionnaire, whatever you want to call it, this the the contact form actually asks about that. Um, you know, again, in a perfect world, if we have dozens and dozens of people in your city who would like to be part of the study, we might say, you know, thank you, but because you use snooze also, we're, we're going to leave you out of this because it's a, it's a complication. Um, on the other hand, if we don't have enough study subjects in that particular site, if we don't include the people who use snooze, then Great, welcome aboard. Um, we, we need you. What about if I only vape zero nick? Um, that's actually fine. We, we, we will be asking questions once the study is underway about what people vape and how they vape and how much they vape and, and so forth. But um, there are no restrictions on how much nicotine you use, including zero um, for for becoming part of the study. And potential subject thinking this through, what if I want to quit vaping at some point during that six years? I mean. If you have a specific plan to keep, quit vaping, you know, in the next year, and we do ask this all, also, if you have a specific plan to, to quit vaping or to start smoking or, or any other major change in your <laughs> tobacco and nicotine use within the next year, then then no, we, we would rather not enroll you. That that's too much of a complication. 
but we recognize, of course, that, that many of the people who enter this study and are vapors and don't have a specific plan to stop vaping will still stop vaping in a year or two or, or, or three. And of course, you know, we've accounted for that and <clears throat> we, we aren't encouraging any particular behavior, right? I mean, you have to meet certain qualifications to enter the study, you know, you need to be a vapor now. That's what you are. You need to not be a smoker now. Um, if the study subject, if if you choose to make a change, we're not asking you not to. Right. right. This is a, this is what's called an observational study. Right. We're going to follow people, real world. It's right there in the name, following their natural lives and their natural behavior and collect data without trying to, without ever telling people what we, what they should be doing. We'll just collect information on what they are doing. Right, and that brings me to a, an important question because normally or often in research like this to try to, <coughs> to try to get the right accurate results that gives you, you know, reliable, you know, re reliable results. You have to make sure that everyone's using the same device or the same e-juice or the same nicotine level so forth, so everybody's using the same thing, so you can compare that. So are these subjects going to be limited in any way? Are they gonna be asked to use specific products or devices and so forth in order to get that unanimity for results? No, no, no restrictions on what somebody vapes, they just need to be a vapor. No um, suggestions, requests, anything about how they do it. We'll ask, we will gather that information. Um, but again, this is all about it being real world. So the methodologies that you just described where you do a clinical trial, an artificial experiment on people, and every one of them gets the same device, um, the same um, e-liquid and, and so forth, that's not real world. Um, and you could argue that it's more useful for answering some questions, although even that's a little little shaky. Um, letting people behave with the natural distribution of different behaviors, different devices, different quantities, different nicotine strengths, and so forth, that's what the real world looks like. If there's a, a risk, we don't want to miss it because we're only looking at one particular type of device and the risk only comes from a different type of device. Um, and so in this way, real world distributions of naturally chosen behaviors are, are what's interesting. So vapors in the wild is what we're talking about. <laughs> vapors in the wild, yes. <laughs> That's excellent. So before we uh, do some of our last questions, I wanna just pop over to our microsite for our funding at RegWatch and of course, we spent a lot of time, this is our fifth year anniversary coming up, covering the vaping file, uh, which will be this September, actually. So we're almost there. God, I feel old. Oh, my back is hurting and everything. <laughs> but of course, we're, I mean, we uh, promote fact-based science. And I hate having to say fact-based because science should just be fact-based. That's de facto, but it's clearly not the case. We counter misperceptions. We destigmatize nicotine. And of course, we hold researchers, regulators, reporters to account. We need your help. Uh, we're going to be entering, we are now starting to enter into a fundraising uh, phase. I mean, COVID just killed us as well as everybody else. If you got a few bucks, please uh, join our fine group of uh, companies that have been keeping us alive 
some of these guys. Demand Vape is crazy awesome. And of course, I'm, you guys all know the names of the people that have been working hard for us. Some of these people here, though, that are on this site have taken a pause and I've left them up because they are all fine people. But we do need your help. Please go to support.regulatorwatch.com and consider making a contribution. And I hate doing that, Carl. I hate asking for money from people. But, you know, that's the way it is. So, got to do it. So, is a six-year study long enough? Uh, because when we're talking about smoking and the effects of smoking on people, I mean, that's one of the things about smoking. Oh, I'll smoke right now. I, it's not going to hurt me until, you know, 30, 40 years from now. And that's true. You know, the, the effects are far out there. And so why should we expect, uh, because critics of vaping will say that that model should be applied to vaping in six years. I mean, that's nothing in the grand scheme of how, how tobacco uh, kills people. Well, two, two answers to that. The first one goes to your gotta ask for money thing. Um, <laughs> if, you know, if this is working and it's six years in and we're following a cohort of hundreds of people and they're willing to keep at it, um, I'm pretty confident that we'll be able to find funding or uh, or my successor, uh, I'm old too, my successor will be able to, to find um, funding to, to keep it going. You can't, you can't get six years in 2026 unless you start in 2020. You can't get 10 years in 2030 unless you start in 2020, right? You know, you got to start somewhere. So, so that's part of the answer is, yeah, keeping going would, would be great. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. The second part of the answer is if we, knowing what we do about the harms from smoking now, you know, unlike a hundred years ago when they were first starting to show up, right? And having current technology, we could figure out that smoking was bad for you um, in a few years because the lung problems start to show up. And we're going to we're doing high resolution scans and we're doing other tests that would, you know, not definitively, I mean. You know, that's science, right? There could be something magical about vaping that 32 and a half years after you start vaping, your arms fall off, right? And we won't know that for quite quite some time. Um, but realistically speaking, in terms of plausible outcomes um, with lung damage, <clears throat> we should be able to detect those prospectively after only a few years. And of course, you know, many of the people entering the study, you know, None of them are, will have started yesterday, right? So, so we're going to start studying people who have been vaping two, three, five years, and so it's not quite as narrow a window of, of vaping history as as it it looks like if you don't think of it that way. And oh, if we don't see anything, it doesn't prove that nothing bad's ever going to happen, but it certainly makes us more confident of it. So one of the questions uh, that I've got, and this is, it's hard to be in control uh, of the results and how the media is going to cover it. But in the end, um, if no mainstream media covers the results of this uh, study, then it, you know, it's a tree falling in the forest. So thinking about that, are you already planning and strategizing? I mean, the biggest impediment is getting this message out into mainstream once the results are in. Yeah, I mean, and, and we will certainly make every effort to, to get that out. And of course, the results won't just 
wait six years and come in then. We will be collecting results and producing reports as soon as we have something to report on. So, so there will be multiple reports over the years. And yes, of course, we'll make every effort to, to make sure that the media, the regulators, everybody who ought to be seeing this and paying attention to it do so. Excellent, excellent. So are there any other considerations that vapors who may fit in this, you know, fine criteria that they should be considering before they go sign up? Well, you know, again, it's it's not it's not a sign up. It's not in the sense it's not a commitment of any sort. It's they're not providing study data. Um, they're just providing contact information and, and screening information. Um, so I mean, there, there's no risk, no no commitment. I strongly encourage anybody who's thinking about it to go do it. The questions that we want answers to about smoking history, about um, vaping, and and so forth, they're there on the page. Very simple to answer. Should you know, take about three minutes to to do it, and it it's all covered there. And uh, I mean, the more people, the more people we get um, filling out this form, the better a chance we'll have of being able to launch a particular study site. <clears throat> and, you know, if we collect information on people somewhere and we don't have quite enough and somebody isn't quite the right fit, but they're a pretty good fit, that's what we want. If we have extras, we will say, thank you, we're deleting your information, watch for, watch for our reports. There's no downside to... To, to going ahead and, and checking out the, the sign up in other words. Absolutely. And, uh, and, 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 you know, don't self-censor about it. If you, if you kind of, if you're hearing this and you think, I, I think I fit that, but I'm not entirely sure. Go, go take the three minutes, fill out the form. Um, we ask the questions we need the answers to. We'll take care of the rest. Uh, that's, that's excellent news. And I, I just want you to know, as we're wrapping up here, like to just make sure that if you missed it in that lead at the start here that you know your partner in this is dr pelosa ricardo pelosa and you know he's very famous uh when it comes to this kind of research so i mean it's a great team yeah it, it really is and um he did the study the, the the tiny small versions of this study that, that we have um are his great work, um, take, you know, following a small number of vapors who haven't smoked for a shorter time and gathering data like this. And so, you know, miniature versions of this have been done and laid the groundwork for him to envision th this bigger study that, you know, that he then brought me on in on and that that we're doing so that you know this isn't out of the blue we this isn't ne never been tried it's just hasn't been done on this scale before um but thanks to thanks to his work um we we've we've done it before we're just expanding it well and that's great news actually because that research was fantastic research it was solid rock solid research so well dr phillips i really want to thank you for coming on what we're going to do is we're going to wrap this show right now and for our viewers out there that want to listen a little bit about covid i mean just the the tease here is that you're the first epidemiologist that we've had on the show that's actually had covid 
<laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, there, I don't know. I don't know how many epidemiologists have had COVID. I haven't haven't talked to any others. So yeah. So that anyway. makes it that makes it unusual. And then you're the first person that we've had on the show that's had COVID at all. So what we're going to do is uh, we're going to close this show and I'm going to stop the stream on Facebook and YouTube. And I'm just going to crank on another stream. It'll be the same uh, thumbnail. We'll just jump back on and we'll have a quick chat about that. And then I'll clean everything up uh, and all, all the stuff will get released to again uh, later tonight and into tomorrow. So, Dr. Phillips, thanks again. Just repeat the uh, URL for us so everyone knows what that is. Yes, it's it's Veritas Cohort. So Veritas, V-E-R-I-T-A-S, Cohort, C-O-H-O-R-T dot org. And once you're at that main page, um, go to the tab on the that says Study Subject. It'll have a list of the places where we are looking for contact information for potential study subject. It's, if you're there, please, please fill out the form. Um, again, for vapors who haven't smoked a whole lot, and we ask a few other questions too, but th those are really the, the keys there. And if that describes you or describes someone you know, or you have a great social network where you can send out this information, please do it because the study can only happen if we get enough people um, signing up at this stage. Well, that's excellent. Well, thanks again, Dr. Phillips. Just stay right there. And that is it for this edition of RegWatch. Before you head off, please go over to support.regulatorwatch.com. That's support.regulatorwatch.com and consider making a financial contribution to our vaping coverage. It's easy, dig into your wallet or we'll come find you and do it and toss us a few dollars. You'll be happy you did and so will we. And while online, don't forget to like us on Facebook and please follow us on Twitter. For regulatorwatch.com, I'm Brent Stafford.